Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of School Safety News. I'm Dr. Amy Klinger and I'm Amanda Klinger. Some of you may be familiar with us from the Educators School Safety Network. Um, you may be listening to our School Safety Free Period podcast. Um, if not, we hope that you do. Uh, but this is a little bit different. Um, the School Safety News podcast is really an opportunity for us to talk seriously about some of the incidents that are happening and trying to make them very timely and giving you an idea of what's happening in school safety news, but more importantly, what some of the ramifications and some of the takeaways are, some of the suggestions that we might have of lessons learned from these particular events. So if you're familiar with the School Safety Free Period podcast, on that podcast we talk about how we are typically very serious and very academic and very research-oriented, and the School Safety Free Period is sort of a break from that. So this is the actual work of school safety that we do. So this is the serious, uh, focused, research-oriented um, taking school safety very seriously portion of the podcast. So you have sort of the, the light and the dark to choose from. But we hope that you'll look at both of those um, because there are important lessons to be learned from the minor things that we talk about or the funny things that we talk about in the school safety free period or in the free period podcast. But we want to focus today on some of the, frankly, sort of horrific things that happened Today is an interesting day to begin our school safety news because we had really double incidents, two significant incidents happening in the United States today. So let's get right to it. I don't want to spend a lot of time being a news reporter, but I want to kind of encapsulate for you in case you've not had an opportunity to look at um, two different incidents that happened today. Um, the first is much more high profile, and that was the terror attack that took place in uh, Midtown Manhattan today at three o'clock this afternoon. It's very interesting from a school safety period, a, a school safety perspective, um, interesting and a bit horrifying as to how schools found themselves sort of immersed in this event. So let, let me just real quickly run through that. First of all, it happened 3.05 p.m., which is right at dismissals. And the um, area where it occurred was in very close, especially where the when the person um, drove the truck onto the bike path or the pedestrian way, um, the where it ended up was right in very close proximity to two different schools. Um, Stuyvesant High School, where the students witnessed it and were taking videos, watching um, this drama unfold as these people were injured um, right in their view and then the police um, apprehended or actually shot the perpetrator and apprehended him all of this happening their um, documenting of the event in with their phones ended up on social media and facebook and snapchat so we've got those students highly immersed in it but even before that the resolution of this event began when the individual driving the truck crashed into a school bus. That's what stopped him from continuing down the pedestrian way was when he hit um, a school bus and we had two adults and two children on the school bus that were injured. So we had that happening. We had the kids in the high school 
seeing what was happening. The perpetrator came out of the vehicle with two weapons and was pointing them at the students and at people in the area. And then we also had where the actual accident took place on the other side of the where the accident took place was an intermediate school, intermediate school 89, which was essentially the accident scene. Um, and in that particular case, we had a, a lot of kids coming out from dismissal, going back into the school to lock down and secure, as well as parents and other pedestrians and people who were trying to get away from the incident going into the school to secure to be secured as well so it's very interesting that in this very brief event um, we need to look at what the protocols were that a school had the schools had to quickly embark on um, they had to do a reverse evacuation because we have kids coming out that we need to get back in the school they had to do the lockdown um, they had to do the protocol for a bus accident because you had an accident with kids on the bus um, Kids had to be evacuated off the bus. We had injuries, that sort of thing. You had the potential for an active shooter because the person came out with two weapons. Um, you had lots of issues with accountability of students, clearly, trying to figure out who's already left for dismissal and is out of the school, who's in the school, who's in transit, and if so, where are they? I would assume we had parent unification of some sort taking place because we've got the kids secured in the school anywhere an account of over 50 children in the intermediate school being sheltered there or in lockdown so we've got um, accountability and parent unification there and then we have sort of the other issue of social media use that we have all these kids witnessing these particular um, events watching it happen and then documenting it and putting it on Facebook, Snapchat, there were lots of requests for media interviews, that sort of thing. So you have just in this very brief amount of time, so many different protocols that needed to happen and so much response that needed to happen that could not be managed by just one individual. Um, everyone needed to know what they were doing in order to be able to respond to this event. Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of begs the question how do you prepare for something like this? And I think the answer is you don't prepare for something exactly like this, but I need to have a plan in place to reunify parents with students. I need to have had conversations with my students ahead of time about how do we use social media appropriately during a crisis event, even if the crisis event, you know, so it ended up being outside the school and it never came into the school and they weren't in danger inside the school, but they didn't know that. And then also, you know, how do we have appropriate, do we have systems in place to be able to account for students um, at arrival, at dismissal, at, during normal school times, and then all of your bus protocols. So I guess the answer is you can't prepare for something exactly like this, but you can have protocols and procedures in place for yeah. all of the things that they ended up having to do. Those things we all should have thought through ahead of time. And in my just my brief research getting ready mm -hmm. for this, I listed seven response protocols, at least seven, that, well, actually eight, that, need, that occurred in that span between 3 o'clock and, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock, whenever it was. But in that very brief time, we had eight different protocols that needed to happen, none of which could be made up on the spot, none mm -hmm. of which could be, hmm, let's revise that and figure out. People needed to know what to do and needed to be able to enact those protocols. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to just touch base for, or go back for a second on the social media thing. It's very interesting because in this particular case, the video that they were 
that some of the people were taking from their classrooms looking down on this incident was very beneficial to law enforcement to be able to know was there one perpetrator where did he go what did he do and so it's going to end up being i think very critical to the investigation and the eventual prosecution not necessarily what we would prefer for kids to be doing in that particular Mm -hmm. event but it's kind of ironic that that ended up being you know is is probably going to be a very important piece well i mean it speaks to the the notion that this student use of social media during a crisis event can't be a black and white issue we can't say holy cow there's a crisis don't use your phone put it away they have to be able to exercise judgment so is there a shooter in this building and we need to be actively doing something we need to be evacuating we need to be barricading then now is not the time for the phone is there something else going on i mean you know i guess sort of picking your battles i mean obviously you can't encourage students you shouldn't be encouraging students to be using social media to document a crisis but pick my battles of when do I really need them to put down the phones and when is it, I I guess, not that big of a deal. Well, I think in this particular case, not a single response protocol had been initiated when they were doing this. They were doing this as they looked out the window. And and if you've seen the video and you can, you know, in the, you can see where they looked out the window and just said, holy smoke, here's this thing happening and documented it. So there wasn't even... You know, I think for for me and, and what we would say is the demarcation is when there's a response protocol you're supposed to be doing and instead you're on the phone right. videoing, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was almost like sort of a witness thing where it was happening spontaneously prior to any protocol even being initiated. Well. So, And then the other one on the opposite coast that's happening really almost at the same time, actually, Um, was a first grade teacher in Riverside, California, who was essentially held hostage in her classroom by an irate, disgruntled parent. And so again, we had in, in this was a longer incident, um, but in a pretty rapid succession, we had to evacuate students, we had to account for them. They had to move students to an offsite location, uh, communicate with parents about where they were, do parent reunification. All of that in a pretty close proximity um, and so in a very emotional sort of situation mm-hmm. where it, you know, the hostage situation was ongoing. Um, I think this one in New York happened so quickly that there was nothing to do but respond. Um, I think the one in in Riverside was a little more extended and so I think you had more people involved in and um, that emotion building much more rapidly. I guess the takeaway for this particular one um, you know, the one that, that springs to mind immediately for me is what we always talk about of what protocols do you have in place that are not emergency response protocols, but what's your daily practice for meeting with parents? Mm-hmm. How are they situated in the room? How do people set up their offices in their classrooms? Where am I going to seat the parent versus where am I going to sit? Am I going to, I need to be closest to the exit. Um, I don't need to be behind my desk where I can't get to the exit. And I'm not in any way saying that that's what happened here because we don't know. But it just is a reminder to us that the way that we interact with people in the physical space, we need to control mm-hmm. where we're going to be so that we have the ability to get out of that classroom, to get away from that particular situation. Right, and we're not saying that, that some of these preparations or practices can prevent a situation like this. No. But they 
they are they don't certainly don't hurt and they might be able to help or to mitigate or to prevent and so you talk about the way you set up your classroom you know we also talk about giving people the tip of if you're meeting with someone and it starts to escalate that you go you know what I feel like I'm not able to help you I'm not able to to provide the help that you need. Let me call in, let me loop in so-and-so who might be able to help us work through this problem. And then you can call someone for support. Notice that I didn't say to the irate parent, you seem to be out of control and I'm not saying something to escalate. I'm couching it in this terms of, we need to get to the resolution that's going to be beneficial for you. And what can we do? To, what can I do to help you? I'm, I, I'm not able to do it by myself. Let me loop someone else in who can help. Yeah. And that's another tip that we uh, typically give. And when you talk about setting up the setting up your room to be able to escape, um, we have uh, some diagrams about that, and I'll show those put those up in the description um, in the show notes. Perfect. And, and I guess if we want to lump these two incidents together in terms of, I think there's two important um, takeaways. Number one, both of them are going to require recovery activities. Mm-hmm. We have a traumatic event clearly that has impacted in in the situation in Riverside a smaller number of people perhaps um, directly because fortunately there were no students in her classroom when this began Mm -hmm. but still we have a traumatic event the um, person was was shot on site by the you you know SWAT stormed the building so you have uh, a tactical response that occurred so clearly you have trauma that and recovery that needs to take place there Mm -hmm. and then clearly in New York as well so Recovery is a big piece um, that oftentimes we don't see schools having adequate preparation for. And then the other one, I think, is sort of the object lesson of if all you've ever practiced is an active shooter. Or talked about. Or or talked about. Or or have an actual policy for. Yeah, if the only thing you've ever emphasized is an active shooter, you were out of luck today in these two traumatic events. Mm -hmm. Because while they could clearly have devolved into an active shooter, Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, either one of them could have become an active shooter event, the response that was required was not an active shooter response. It was not just a traditional lockdown. Right. It was not, well, it was not just, you know, a run-hide-fight situation even. Um, So I think that really um, is sort of a evocative, is, is sort of an example of what we talk about of, we cannot just be focused on active shooter. We have to be ready with a comprehensive all hazards sort of approach to these different crisis events. And I think both of these things happening today really speak to that. Yeah, and I think it also really indicates the need that when you're doing crisis planning, that you don't do crisis planning where, well, if X happens, we'll do Y, and that you organize it all around the potential hypotheticals. Because I doubt anyone would have thought of the hypothetical, what are we going to do if a terrorist attack occurs and crashes into a bus in, and front, of a school. in front of our school while the school is dismissing? So you have to write a press, and the protocol is, my kids were evacuated, my kids were, um, it was the end of the day and kids were just being dismissed and we had to do a reverse evacuation. So you write the protocol for reverse evacuation and you don't need to have to know all the potential hypotheticals where you might have to reverse evacuate we have to have a protocol for reverse you evacuation. just have to be able to enact the, right. the protocol when it's time right when it's necessary and and people get hung up on that i think sometimes on flip charts and in emergency operations plans where they try to think of every potential hypothetical you need to think of your standard response procedures and then train and empower your people to be able to make good decisions of which response procedure do I use now. And and so I guess we close with kind of a uncomfortable question, which was, you know, we have uh, probably nine or 10 different protocols that occurred just today. And I guess the uncomfortable question is, if this were your school, 
would you have been able to enact all those protocols? Have you, do you have those protocols in place? Do your folks, do the people there know what to do? Um, and do they have the autonomy to be able to implement those? And so that's really the uncomfortable question to ask as we look at these two tragic events. So there you have it. Please do send us any uh, feedback or comments or questions or concerns. The email address is info at eschoolsafety.org. That's also our website, www.eschoolsafety.org. We have tons of free resources, and we have information about training that we provide um, and other things, and our research is up there as well. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are looking for a little bit of a pick-me-up, where it's a little bit funnier, uh, you can check out the school safety free period where we do have some takeaways and we do have some substantive work, but it's a little bit less serious and quite a bit more fun. I think the point of the, the school safety news is not to make us feel bad about what we're doing, but rather to encourage everyone to do something because the only mistake is not doing anything. So True. Uh, hopefully the takeaways will help us to keep our schools just a little bit safer. All right. Thanks.